0: Hello, Valley family. It is great to see everybody today. Big shout out to all of the people at our Poughkeepsie campus. Make some noise for yourselves. Make some noise if you're watching online, wherever you are. I am so excited that you are here. I believe it is God's purpose for you all to be here today. And I am very excited because we are starting a new series, I Want to Believe but and this is why i'm excited for this series because many of us have had times in our own lives many of us have come across other people that have struggled in their faith maybe even walked away from their faith because of something that happened that they put the blame on god for you know I believe that there's a lot of things that happen in our lives that we blame God for, but I don't believe we're actually blaming God. We're blaming a false narrative of who we believe God to be. And that's what this whole series is about. I want to believe, but there is this thing about God that I'm struggling with. And as a preview, I want to tell you what we're going to be talking about in the next coming weeks, actually. Next week, we're going to be talking about Killjoy God. Believing in a God where it seems like all of his commandments are just so brutal and it takes all of the fun out of life. Goosebump God, where you want to believe in God, but it seems like every time you pray, nothing happens happens every time you go to church, you don't feel anything, and you're surrounded by a bunch of people that seem like they are really experiencing something with God, but you don't seem to be experiencing anything emotionally. Also, the week after that, we're going to be talking about heartless God. How do you believe in a God where there is so much suffering in the world? These are all really big topics, some that many of you might resonate with here in this room today. And I believe that this series could be something that can really speak to your lives about how do we understand who God really is in the midst of these tough situations. That's why I'm very excited about today's message, because today's message, we're talking about an on-demand God. And I think more than ever, we have an expectation of an on-demand God, because many of us have on-demand lives give you a quick example of this in my own life uh it was a very tough weekend for me and my family um we there was a lot of arguments there was a lot of things that we needed to pray about and possibly even fast through um because unfortunately our Amazon Prime account froze and there was no way for us to get our two day shipping. And we were literally, me and my wife were getting text messages like something's happened to the Amazon Prime account. Everything that I'm trying to buy says it won't be here for another week instead of two days. What do we do? What is going on in the world right now? Can somebody help us? We were freaking out, and by the way, since I'm talking about it, I need to give so much credit to the one person in my family that actually pays for their Amazon Prime account. You know who you are. Stay strong. You got about 20 people on your account. I don't know why that's legal, but still, we depend on you. And I know many of you guys in here, especially family members, know that feeling. Many of you guys have been sharing that same Netflix account for months praying to God that you don't get logged out because you have no idea who the password is for that account. But Speaking of Netflix, I know that I, many times, because of how I live life on demand now, that even affects the way that I do entertainment. See, one of the things I love about Netflix is not that I can just watch it when I want, but when there's a new show on Netflix that all of the episodes of that season are released at the exact same time, I don't have to wait for the next episode. And I become so spoiled by that, that when I want to watch a show that's not on Netflix, Netflix, I will purposefully not watch it for several weeks so I can binge watch one on an entire day. I kid you not. You can judge me if you want to. I know some of you in here do it too. I see those hands. I see those nods. We all do it. Many of us do it. All right. But I take it to the next level when it comes to living an on-demand life on my phone. I have the Chipotle app. I have the Panera Bread app. I got the Starbucks app and the reason why I have those apps is not just because I love those places but because I want to be sure that when I am going to one of those restaurants I can order my stuff ahead of time so I never have to wait in the line. I just show up, it's there and i walk out. I love it when my life is both convenient and I get things most immediate as I'm sure many of you guys in here do as well the only thing about that that is tricky is that despite how much our lives have become immediate and convenient in so many ways God has not changed with the times God has not gravitated to our level of expectation of when and how we want things and there are many people that would like to teach you that that's the way that God operates. When I grew up, uh, I grew up in church. I've I've been a Christian almost most of my life now. And I remember hearing preachers on the television and sometimes they would visit my home church and they would tell me that if I believed enough about God, that if I gave enough many times financially, that if I uh, basically was good enough, in so many ways that God would give me whatever it is I wanted as long as I said it in Jesus name and I'll say this that there are many verses in scripture that say that God will provide if we ask for it in his name one of those verses just so I can show you here is first John 5 verse 14 which reads that this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So this is just one verse of many that say that we should ask God, that we should ask God whatever it is, anything that we want. But church, I want to be honest with you today that you can ask God for anything, go for it, but that does not guarantee that God will give you everything. I'll say it one more time for the people in the back. You can ask God for anything, but it doesn't guarantee he will give you everything. And if you're following along in our Valley Notes today, I want you to write this first thing down. And that is this, that God doesn't work for you, but we exist for him. See, God is not our employee. He is not a subscription we pay for. He is not a type of brand offering a particular product. And too many of us have gotten to the habit of looking to God for results when God died on the cross so he can first and foremost offer us relationship. And I think we can cling to this even more when I understand this because I understand now more than ever that God is my heavenly father and that he being my heavenly father will lead me and guide me according to what is best for me. See, many of you know this, but me and my wife are expecting a first child. It's a boy. We're super excited about it. And it's one of those things where the more I'm getting closer to becoming a parent, I was thinking about my own childhood and how my parents parented me. And here's the thing, I love my parents. My parents are awesome, wonderful, God-fearing people. And there were so many times growing up where because my parents loved me, because they not only cared for me, they made sure that they didn't give me everything that I wanted. Because they loved me, many times they said no. In fact, one story came to mind as I was getting ready for this message I've said this many times when I've preached up here, that my mother and father are both from the beautiful island of Jamaica. In fact, we were all there not too long ago, uh, earlier uh, this year. And... One of the things that I was thinking about was as I was growing up and my parents once again being from Jamaica they would always make us Jamaican dishes and me like every other kid in the world many times would get meals that I wasn't a big fan of and I thought it would be bold enough of me to tell my mom what it is that I didn't want. So one day my mom made some curry chicken with some rice and peas and it it was delicious now looking at it but in my six-year-old mind, I was like, Ew, I don't want goat, I want chicken and all this type of stuff. So I remember my mom put the plate in front of me and I said, I don't want this. I want something else. And my mom, as sincere and tender-hearted as she could be, came up to me and said this very softly, Stephen, I am so sorry. There must have been a real big misunderstanding because you think that this is a restaurant, but this is my house, and you gonna eat whatever it is that I make. And if you don't like it, you can go hungry. Do you understand what I'm saying? And she gave me that face, you know, like many of you moms in here, you know that face you give like your child to be like, listen, you better straighten up or you aren't going like what's next. That's what she did. And I pretty much ended up eating the entire pot of curry chicken because I didn't want that problem after that, all right? I did not want that problem. But those were the things that my parents did because they knew what was best for me and they had a better plan for me. So they led me according to that. But the thing about this is, is that many times we also will receive a no from God for a multiple amount of reasons because he is our heavenly father and he wants what's best for us. Many times he's saying no because he has a better yes for us in mind. I remember praying many times when I was back in college and I was dating different people and I'd be like, God, please bless this woman to be my wife and God said no. I don't think I've ever said this before here at Valley Christian Church, but before I got offered a job here at this church, I was offered a job in Knoxville, Tennessee. The barbecue is great there, by the way. I don't know if you've ever had it. But God said no to that, too, even though I prayed that he would give me this position. And let me be clear, it's not that those girls that I was trying to date and hopefully marry one day were bad. It wasn't that that job offer in Knoxville, Tennessee was bad. But God had something that he knew would be good for me that would be better for my life and for my story. And he blessed me with my beautiful wife. And he blessed me to be here with you wonderful people. That was part of God's leading. And then there are other times where God delays something, but his delay is not necessarily a denial. Sometimes we pray to God and we say, God, can you do this in my life? And because it doesn't happen right away, we give up on it. But in reality, God is giving it to us, but he's giving it to us in the right time and place. So we are prepared for it. And then other times, and I just got to be real about this. There are times where we pray for God to do something in our lives. And in reality, it's not God's department. Do you know how many times back in high school and back in college I prayed to God? God, I know I did not study at all for this test. But if you could show up supernaturally, send a Holy Ghost wind filled with knowledge that knows trigonometry to help me pass this. Jesus, do it. And I started speaking in tongues over the thing and I failed the test. Who would believe that? But I can't blame God for that. That's because I wasn't prepared. I've had people come into my life and be like, man, I've been praying for God to help me to lose weight. And I'm like, do you feel like God might just be saying that you should just eat less and work out more? Why is that God's responsibility for you for that to happen in your life? There are times when people come to me and they're like, man, I've been praying God to fix my marriage. But what have you done to fix your marriage? What have you done to fix your situation? I think there's so many times we pray to God certain things and God's looking back on us and says, that's not my job, that's on you. But the ultimate thing that I believe causes us many times to struggle in our faith when we pray to God and we don't get the answer that we want is when there's something of higher consequence on the line. Something that you would almost Be bold enough to pray, God, you don't have to do anything else in my life, but if you could just do this one thing for me, please. Someone that I care for is sick, God, and I need you to heal them. God, if we don't get this money, we're going to get kicked out this house and I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to turn. So often we have situations like that, and it's in those moments where many times our faith can be tested because we feel like God just isn't showing up. There's actually a passage in scripture that talks about this, and we're going to be spending majority of our time uh, in this passage today. And this passage is in John 11. But before I get into John 11, I should just give a little background so we understand what it is that's happening here in this passage See, in the book of John chapter 11, or even preceding that, something that many of you should know is that Jesus never owned property. Jesus, uh, from what we can tell in scriptures, barely owned anything. And during his three years of ministry, he lived off of the generosity of others. And one of the people that was generous to him was a woman named Martha, who had a sister named Mary and a brother named Lazarus. And there are multiple Recordings in scripture where he stayed the night at their house or he ate their food, was at their parties. And it is clear within scripture that Jesus did not just associate with these people, but he was close. They were his family. They were his home away from home if he had a home. So we see something happen here in John chapter 11, beginning at verse one, that is interesting. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now was the sa- whose brother, excuse me, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, "Lord, the one you love is sick." When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. I love in this passage how they didn't even approach Jesus saying Jesus Lazarus is sick. They sent word to Jesus who was out of town that the one you love is sick invoking emotion from Jesus. Jesus cared for this person. Jesus cared for this family. And if I could take what's happening here and bring it into 2018, I think many of us have had similar experiences where either us or people that we care for have walked close with God. We've seen God do amazing things. We feel like we just have coffee with Jesus every morning. And then something happens in our lives that that we need a spiritual breakthrough. We need God to do something supernatural. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And we pray to God, hoping that he will answer us. And many times we'll even find encouragement through his word, through somebody else speaking into our lives, saying that, listen, and God's going to do something great. This will not be how your life ends. Something great is going to come from this. So they get these words from Jesus and they're encouraged. But the next thing that we see in this passage is one of the two most conflicting things that I see in Scripture. And that's this in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't make any sense at all. Can I just speak for my own self? I love my wife, I love my family, I have very close friends. I will do anything. For the people that I love. And if I hear that they are in a situation, there's been a terrible accident, they're dealing with a horrible sickness, I will drop everything that I'm doing and I will move to them as urgently as possible. Emergencies in our life bring forth urgency in our behavior. That's just the way many of us work. If we know that there is something going on, and even to another level, if we know that we're the only person that can. And do something about it we will move with urgency so it doesn't make sense to me at all how is it that Jesus who loved Mary Martha and Lazarus would stay where he is despite how much he loved him and this is the thing about God that many times I'm conflicted with and I don't understand Do you know how many times I've grown up, uh, I've grown up in church, like I said before, and I would hear somebody say this to me when I was complaining about how I needed God to do something and things aren't working out, they'd be like, hey, Stephen, just take heart, man. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. You just got to be patient. And I'd be like, listen, that sounds cute, but bump all that. I need God to show up today. I need God to do something in my situation right now. A thousand years sounds very poetic, but if he don't show up today, my lights are going off. I'm not going to have any food to eat. My marriage may not make it. I need God to do something right now. And the frustration we can feel when he doesn't appear in the time that we want him to. And like I said, I struggled with this, but then I started to see something in the next passage that I never noticed before as I was getting ready for this message. Luke chapter, excuse me, John chapter 11, verse six. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now, this is one of the things I love about Jesus. Scripture says that God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So again, Jesus all poetically says, listen, let us go back to Judea, because Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I need to wake him up. But his disciples are like not on that level. So they're like, oh, Jesus, if he's... If he's asleep, then he'll get better, right? We don't got to go back to Judea. He's, if he's resting, he will recover. It's all good. Don't worry about it. And then Jesus has to like break out of poetic mode and sure to be like, Lazarus is dead, all right? Lazarus is dead. Let's go. But he not only says Lazarus is dead in verse 14, it says, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But verse 15 is where we see something interesting. Jesus continues and says, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. What reveals the heart of God is verse 15 that says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. If you're still following along in your valley notes, I want you to write this down that God's purpose is always bigger than your plan. His purpose is bigger than your plan. Jesus loves Mary, he loves Martha, he loves Lazarus. But there's so many other people that he also loves that he's trying to reach at the same time. And you know what's crazy? I think what they dealt with is the same thing that many of us deal with, where we have a plan of how we want things to go on in our life and somehow, some way, the plan derails from its original course. And there's many reasons for why that happens, by the way. I think many times uh, our plans derail in life, whether it's to have a happy, healthy uh, relationships, whether it's to have a successful career, whether it's to raise great children, Whatever those things are, many times those things can get derailed and messed up for four reasons that I could think of. First reason is because mistakes we made on our own. We made a foolish decision. We did something not smart. And because of that, we had to pay the penalty for it and our life has derailed. Other times our plans for life change because of a bad decision or a wrong choice that somebody has done to us. My heart and Prayers go out to all of those that lost somebody in California this week. For those that lost loved ones in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago. People that were minding their own business, people that were living their lives. And somebody came in because they had the wrong choice of causing harm and people are suffering for it. So we pray for all of the loved ones that have lost somebody recently in those tragic shootings and all the ones before that. But then there's another thing that happens, a third thing that happens, where it's just, honestly, sometimes the world is chaotic, the universe can be crazy, and there are things that are just beyond our control. People living their lives, minding their own business, and suddenly tsunami waves show up, hurricanes form, tornadoes uh, reveal themselves and people end up hurt in the process. Things that they weren't planning for. Sometimes even just the natural bodies decay. You were doing everything that you can. You were living a a healthy life, but still your body just had a predisposition for cancer and because of that, it's, it's there and it's growing. Unfortunate, chaotic things of that nature. And the fourth thing I think is many times we end up suffering for doing good. You stand up for somebody that's your friend and you end up getting ostracized for it. You decide to not compromise morally at your job or maybe even in a relationship and it causes for that relationship to end for things to become increasingly difficult at your job. Things that are honestly unfair. But still, we suffer from it still the plan we have has been derailed but the thing that i want to encourage you is that even when our plans fail god still has a bigger purpose involved proverbs 19:21 says this that many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And then it's echoed again in Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know that not everything that happens in our lives are good. And maybe it was our fault. Maybe it was somebody else's. Maybe it was chaotic universe. Maybe we tried to do the right thing, but whatever it is, even though it may not be, be good God will still use it for good later on his purpose will prevail and if we are in his will we know that we will see the prosperity of his purpose come forth see if I could put it in any different way I'd say this that many times we judge God harshly because of moments in our lives not realizing that God is writing a whole story The moment may not be good, but I promise you, if you keep watching, if you stay tuned, you will see something come forth from it that is greater than you ever expected for yourself. And this is why I also, even though it's tough and I can't comprehend it, I can't also help but think that if Jesus showed up to Lazarus early and said, listen, I'm going to give you two choices. I could heal you right now and you'll feel better and everything's done. Or you can suffer a little longer and the suffering that you will deal with, yes, I will deal with that, but also more people will come to faith in me. Which one would you choose? I don't know which one would he choose. Which one would you choose? It's a difficult situation. It's a problem I never want to be faced with. So instead, since God doesn't tell me his plan, I need to trust his plan even when it hurts. But the story continues. John 11, verse 21. Jesus has now made it back to where Mary and Martha are. And he has found out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha is upset. Mary is upset. And we see these words when Martha comes to see Jesus. She says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, My brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I love that faith. I love that boldness. God, I'm mad that you weren't here, but I still believe that you can do something in the midst of this. Mary first was too upset to see Jesus, but we see in the scriptures later on that she approaches Jesus and says a very similar thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Why weren't you here? But then Jesus says this to Martha. He says, your brother will rise again in verse 23. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And what I love about this is that I think Jesus is saying, your brother will rise again. And Martha is just thinking that this is some type of empty, like plat to one of those things that we tell people where it's like, hey, listen, I know you had a bad day, but it's going to get better. Things are going to be all right. Things are going to turn up. And she responds like, yeah, I know. I get it. Yeah, I know Jesus. He'll be back one day in the future you told me but Jesus is saying something deeper in verse 25 he says I am the resurrection and the life the one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this Jesus is telling Martha that the resurrection that he's talking about is not a time and place that the resurrection is a person standing in front of her and that life is not defined by the breath in our lungs, but it is defined by the spirit that lives within us. God is doing something bigger here and he's asking, do you still believe who I am? Do you still trust who I am? And I believe that Jesus many times could be asking this in the lives of those that are suffering. Maybe the people in this room watching in Poughkeepsie or watching online. Maybe you're feeling like, I don't know what's going on. I'm struggling. I hate this. I don't know where God is. And God might be asking you right now, do you still trust me in this? Do you still believe I am who I am and I can do what I can do? Do you believe this? Eventually, Jesus asks to see the tomb. And while he was on his way, Mary starts to cry. And there was other people there consoling Mary and Martha. And they begin crying. And this begins the second most perplexing thing about this passage. But the one that I cling to so heavily. In John 11, verse 33. Jesus saw her who was Mary weeping and he saw how the people with her were weeping also. His heart was touched and he was deeply moved. Where have you buried him? He asked them. Come and see, Lord, they answered. Jesus wept. See how much he loved him, the people said. And I'm gonna end The story right there. Many of you guys who have read scripture know how it ends for anyone in here. Let me give you a major spoiler alert. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and is considered one of, if not the biggest miracle he ever performed in his three years of ministry. And here's the thing about that. Jesus clearly knew from the beginning that he was gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. That's why he waited. That's why he showed up when he did. And what I love about this passage, what I love about the heart of God that you see in this moment is that Jesus did not show up and see all of these people weeping and crying and say, everybody, calm down. I got this. Watch what I do next. Jesus did not show up and say, listen, this is all going to work out, Mary. Martha just 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 calm down. Don't ask me these questions. I'm gonna fix this right now. Jesus saw their pain and he wept with them. I want you to know today that God is always present in your pain. God does not work for you. And I'll say this, maybe you feel like God is not working in your life, but may I challenge you with this. God might not be working for you, but perhaps he might be working out something in you today in the midst of your situation, in the midst of your trial. And in the midst of that, we, yes, know that he has a purpose for all of this. A purpose that is bigger than the plans we have for ourselves. But also in the midst of that purpose that he is trying to fulfill, he does not belittle the pain that we suffer in the midst of it. I'm bold enough to believe that death and sin was never part of God's plan. But he's working even that out for his glory. And when he sees us in the midst of the pain that we deal with because of the sin and the death that we experience, when he sees our broken hearts, our God is not sitting in heaven looking down on us, belittling us, saying, boo-hoo, get over it. Don't you know I have something better? God God does not say you're wasting your breath on all of this. Don't you see I have bigger things to deal with? No, God is not sitting up in heaven, but God's spirit is with us in the midst of mourning crying with us mourning with us and even commands us as the body of Christ to do the same when people are in tough situations this is the reason why I can love my God why I can depend on him even when life doesn't go my way because I know that even when it's he has a better plan and he has a bigger purpose he still is present with me in the midst of that so with that said Quickly, I just want to show you three things that we can do in the midst of times where we feel like God is not answering our prayers the way that we would want it to. First thing is that we need to seek God's heart and not just his hand. I think many times we get in the habit of praying to God only because we want something. Rarely do we ever pray to God just thanking him for who he is and what he's already done. Something that I do often in my personal life is during my devotion time, I write down these things about God and very quickly, I just want to share some of these with you. I I remember that God never changes. That if he loved me yesterday, that he loves me today and he will love me tomorrow. That God is all powerful. That if I need anyone in my corner, I know that it is him that I need and that I can trust in. That God is all-knowing, that he knew every mistake I would ever make, and still he chose me, knowing that I wasn't perfect. That God is infinitely, unchangingly kind and full of goodwill. If he would forgive me for what I did before, then certainly it gives me the grace to forgive myself when I'm angry at decisions I've made and to forgive others for things that they may have done to me. And last but not least, God is infinitely, unchangingly loving towards us. He loves me more than I can ever comprehend. And he loves you too. And if I know that that's his heart, that I can trust him when I pray to him and it will even affect the prayers that I pray to him because I'm no longer praying to him for fluffy things, but I'm praying to him knowing that even if he doesn't give these exact things that I want to me, that his will still is better than I could ever want for my own self. The second thing we need to do is know it's okay to wrestle and embrace God. The Psalms does this so often where King David and other psalmists wrote about how they expected God to do something for them. They were hoping God would reveal himself in this way and he didn't. So they wrestled with God, saying, God, I know that you're good. Yes, I believe that you are higher than any other God, any other thing. Yet at the same time, God, I'm mad at you. I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe you allowed this to happen. Why didn't you show up? And this to me is conflict like any other relationship relationships can't grow if there's not conflict if there's not adversity and many times I think many of us feel like we can't have conflict with God but scripture says that that's completely fine God will love us God will come towards us even in the midst of that and we need to be willing to both wrestle with God with certain things but also embrace him trusting in who he is not only does the book of Psalms do this but also the book of Habakkuk Many of you guys have never read the book of Habakkuk. Some of you have probably just thought that I cussed under my breath. But the point of Habakkuk is that same thing. In the book of Habakkuk, the the author wrestles with God on certain things, but then also embraces God, trusting in his character. But last but not least, I believe that we need to start to bring meaning to our situation and not just search for it. You see, so many times I see something happen in my life or happen in the life of somebody else and we just end up lost in this train of thought asking for God to give us answers, to reveal to us why this happened and was it my fault and could it have been prevented? And these are honestly parts of a grieving process that we deal with, but also there needs to come a point where we say, listen, I may not fully understand why this happened the way it happened, but I know that God's story is not done with me, that his mercies are new every morning, that if he woke me up this morning, then my story is not over. And if that's the case, how can I bring meaning into this day? How can I let what happened in that past not define me, but be the launching pad for where I go to another level, trusting in him and making an impact? There are countless ministries even here in this church that started because somebody had cancer, because someone was dealing with addiction, because someone didn't have food to eat and was homeless. And somebody says, I'm not just going to sit around and pout and wonder why this is. I'm going to do something about it. And because of that, we are seeing Christ fulfilled in deeper and greater ways and the kingdom of God expand because of such things. How much more can we do that in our own lives, in our own griefs? My time is up, but now I would like to pray a prayer over all of you that maybe you're in here right now and you've had a moment where you said, I wanted God to move, but he didn't. Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your character. I thank you that your ways are higher than our ways. And Jesus, that's tough. Because Jesus, we have moments where we need you to do something in a specific way at a specific time. And when you don't show up, it's hard to trust in you. But God, we trust in your character. and We believe in who you are. Give us the faith to get up and to search for you. To trust in you for the next day. And to see you for who you really are. We thank you. And we love you. And maybe you're somebody in here right now. And you say, you know what? I've been living life on my own for so long. I've been trying to experience God in a new way. And I believe that today is the day I want to trust him with my story. Scripture says that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So I want you to just repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, come into my life. I trust in your purpose and will. I believe that Jesus is Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that your way is better than mine. Excited for this journey together. Amen. Amen.